This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Well, good morning again and welcome to the Saturday morning show, the last edition for the year 2019. And we have talked often this year about the unusual year as far as trade talks and as far as weather is concerned. But uh, today, before we say goodbye in hour from now, We'll be sharing with you the audio of the TV interview that I did with the Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, uh, back on December 10th. For the last 45 years, I've had the opportunity to talk to the current Secretary of Agriculture at the end of the year. He invites me into his office, and I should say he and she, because Ann Veneman, who was the uh, Secretary of Agriculture a decade ago, uh, also invited me into the office with a camera crew, and we'd sit down with the Secretary at the time and, uh, and have the opportunity to hear about the year ending and to hear about what's expected in the new year. And instead of Samuelson says this morning, I'll be doing the secretary says as I turn the microphone over to Sonny Perdue to share his thoughts on the secretary says. So that's coming up this morning. In addition to that, a lot of activity as we head to the final days of 2019 and look ahead to 2020 starting the year early with a series of meetings that uh, will be of interest to a lot of people in agricultural production, but uh, particularly to dairy farmers. But I'm going to begin with a sad story that I really hate to report, and we'll talk about a farm in Lower Michigan that is currently for sale. So that uh, discussion will be coming up when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Well, if you've been a longtime listener of our reports here on WGN, going back to Uncle Bobby, you'll remember that we talked a great deal about the tremendous fruit farm in Eau Claire, Michigan, on the other side of the lake. Uh, We became close friends with the uh, Teichman family, and had the opportunity to share the Blossom Time Festival in uh, springtime uh, with them, along with picking apples, because this was the farm that, as far as I know, started the Rent-A-Tree Apple Farm. Well, last Sunday, the South Bend Tribune carried this headline and this story that I'll share with you. The headline... Tremendous fruit farm in Eau Claire to close December 31st. Family seeks a buyer. So let me share the story from Eau Claire. Tremendous fruit farm will close for good on December 31st. And the family who's owned it since the 1920s is seeking a buyer. 
That announcement from the family last Sunday. Now, Herb passed away earlier this year. Liz is still with us. And the farm had been operated for the last 15 years by their son, Bill Teichman, and his wife, Monica. But then tragedy struck. Farmer Bill Teichman, who'd run the more more than 450-acre farm of orchards with his wife, Monica, contracted the mosquito-borne eastern equine encephalitis virus in August. And Bill is now at home where uh, he returned after his hospital stay. But his 58-year-old body is physically healthy. But the neurological effects of triple E have kept him from communicating or even holding a pencil. That, according to a spokesman for the family, Irene Latak of Baroda, Michigan. And uh, with Monica at home to care for him around the clock, Latak said, the family now lacks a legacy to run the farm. Of the couple's three children, two live out of state and one is still in high school, and hence the sale. Uh, Latex said, uh, talking about the Teichman couple, it takes a lot to run a farm. One could not do it without the other. And while a real estate agent hasn't been set, Latex said the family has received already a few calls from people who might be interested in buying the farm. So far, she said, not all of them would be interested in running it as the you-pick farm that it has been. The Teichmans ran Tremendous for the past 15 or so years, leasing it from his parents, Herb and Liz Teichman. Herb, who died in January, had previously run it since 1969, having having taken it over from his father, William Teichman, who established it in the 1920s. And in a story in the uh, South Bend Tribune in 2010, Herb and his sister, Emily Foster, had recalled teenage memories of how German prisoners of war had helped to harvest fruit on the farm during World War II, working for their German-descended father. The farm, often visited by busloads of tourists, had run the beloved international cherry pit-spitting competition for 45 years, and I remember the many times that Uncle Bobby and I were there to emcee that event on the 4th of July weekend. But after Bill got sick in August, friends, farmers, and family members stepped in to help through the harvest season, which is now done. Bill was initially treated at an acute care facility in Grand Rapids, and another Eau Claire farmer that was stricken with triple E just four days after Bill, Jim Whitwright, died in November. But on Sunday, Latex said that Bill is now going through physical therapy to try to get his muscles moving again, and his torso has gained some strength. He's tried to say a few words, but he still cannot communicate. So it's a sad story for me because we are friends with the Teichman family for a long time, and uh, we'd be there at Blossom Time Festival in May every year. 
and I've remembered cooking pancakes in the orchard uh, gathering point on the uh, tremendous fruit farm, and just a lot of good memories from visits to that farm every year. And the cherry pit spitting contest, 45 years and known around the world. Competitors would come from Europe and other places to participate in the cherry pit spitting competition. And the other uh, item that I remember vividly about Herb and Liz and their family is they started the rent-a-tree idea. You could go over to the orchard, rent a tree, and pay so many dollars annually. That would give you the right to visit the tree and to pick the apples from that tree for your own consumption. He was a pioneer in that kind of marketing, and uh, Herb was known not only in the United States, but in many other parts of the world for that idea that a lot of orchards have now adapted to attract people to the orchard and give them an opportunity to spend a day with their tree and watch them bloom and watch the fruit develop and then finally harvest it with the family. They could come and visit their tree during the year if they wanted to have a picnic under their apple tree. And it was just a great marketing idea that other orchards have uh, have now taken on. So, sad story, and we'll keep you posted on uh, what happens now, who will be buying the uh, Tremendous Fruit Farm, and uh, will they continue some of the traditions that were started by Herb and Liz Teichman, and then carried on by son Bill and his wife Monica. So, we wish Bill well and uh, hope that uh, he will recover from this, well, rather strange disease. It's, I can't pronounce it, but it's called Triple E, and uh, it's a disease that affects various parts of the system, and none of them are good effects, as we're finding out. So we're at uh, 18 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show, and we'll move on to some other highlights before we get to the interview with the Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, to wrap up the year after 5.30. That will be coming your way. And we'll continue with uh, another special holiday beside Christmas and New Year's coming up. We'll share that with you after this message. It's 25 minutes, or I should say 20 minutes after 5 o'clock. And as I said at the beginning of the hour, we're working from our studio in Scottsdale, Arizona, in the desert, where it's been anything but for the past several days since we arrived here on Christmas Day. Raining, not heavy rain, but raining off and on ever since we arrived and temperatures that are not desert-like. As I said, the locals and the natives of this area enjoy the rain and the cooler temperatures after going through 110 and 115 degrees during the summer months. But rain falling not heavily, but steadily since we arrived on Christmas Day. Want to talk briefly about uh, a food recall, an unusual one. Normally, when we get food recalls, it 
comes from produce grown mainly in California and Arizona. And uh, it passes along the uh, listeria disease, and uh, they have to find the source of it, the farm, wherever it was in the West that produced it. But this past week, egg products sold at Walmart, Publix, Kroger, and several other supermarkets were pulled from shelves in response to the listeria outbreak connected to hard-boiled egg products. Not vegetables, but hard-boiled egg products. And behind the pulling of brands that you know, like Eggland's Best from stores you know, Costco, 7-Eleven, Fresh Market, Trader Joe's, in addition to the three I mentioned earlier, is the Gainesville, Georgia facility of egg supplier Allmark Foods. The hard-boiled egg products produced there are the lead suspects in the listeria outbreak that sickened seven in five states, hospitalized five, and caused the death of one person. So Monday of this week, Allmark expanded its recall of hard-boiled egg products, regular and organic, down to the retail level with best buy dates through March 2nd of 2020. And the best by date code on recalled products made in the Gainesville, Georgia facility will start with the letter G and plant production has been shut down. So uh, keep that in mind as they continue to uh, see how far this food recall is going to uh, spread. And as I said, in response to an email from a listener who said, aren't we getting a lot more food recalls these days? What's going on? Well, I think what's going on, the system for detection of food listeria outbreaks and other plant diseases is a, a lot more thorough now than it was several years ago. And uh, while the recall you don't want to happen, you do want to know about it so that you can avoid a bout of listeria poisoning. 23 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show, and I have to talk about a holiday besides Christmas and New Year's, because there is a holiday coming up, National Bacon Day on December 30th, next Monday. National Bacon Day. Many Americans celebrate this tasty slice of life most days and in more ways than ever before. The National Pork Board reported U.S. consumption of bacon increased 2.4% from 2001 to 2013, with Americans consuming about 1.1 billion servings of bacon annually. Pork belly. That's the cut of meat from the hog that produces bacon. is now found on 8.7% of U.S. restaurant menus. That's a 59% increase in the number of restaurant serving products from the cut since 2014. Bacon is served in 7 out of 10 U.S. restaurants. 
And uh, the board's report also indicates bacon's increased demand over the last few decades is due to its growing appeal beyond breakfast. Today, as you know, bacon can be found on, in, or wrapped around everything from other meats like filet mignon to treats like ice cream. And I recall on one of our trips to Norway being in a restaurant there that served brandy old-fashioned drinks flavored with bacon. And uh, Davey Griffin with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Services, he's the meat specialist at College Station, Texas, said he can't explain Bacon's skyrocketing popularity beyond agreeing with Riley that uh, it is certainly growing in popularity. Uh, And maybe another thing that has helped, Sliced bacon prices have been relatively stable since 2017. In November, sliced bacon was $5.50 per pound nationally. It was $5.79 a pound in November of 2018 and $5.70 a pound at the same time in 2017. 275-pound pig, that's 16 pounds of bacon, That's approximately 560 thinly sliced pieces, according to the National Pork Board. And preserving and salt-curing pork dates back to 1500 B.C. in China. So apparently people were enjoying bacon then. But the one other thing about the growth in popularity has changed a contract that we used to have at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the frozen pork belly contract. And the reason they had a futures contract that uh, for the product that produced bacon is that bacon used to be consumed basically during the summer. And I remember when we'd roll around to May and the beginning of bacon, lettuce, tomato season, we would talk about that because it did impact the consumption of bacon. But uh, now, with bacon being used in foods the year round, we no longer trade the frozen pork belly contract at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. So, December 30, that's Monday, National Bacon Day, and make sure you get out there and have your share to continue the celebration of National Baking Day. We're at 28 minutes after 5 o'clock, still to come. The audio of our television interview earlier this month in Washington, D.C. with Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. Stay with us for that when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. I'm Mike Muller from Muller Honda in Highland Park and Muller Honda of Gurney. We are as competitive in our pricing as Dan Hampton and Ed Obradovich were on the field. But it's not just about our competitive pricing. It's about your experience after the sale. From sales to service to complimentary loaners, Muller Honda has you covered. At Muller Honda in Highland Park and Muller Honda of Gurney, our warm and friendly atmosphere will make sure that you will not be disappointed. We are back with you here on the Saturday morning show. And uh, as I mentioned, 
45 years ago when Earl Butts was Secretary of Agriculture, I was able to start the annual tradition of going to Washington, D.C. with a television crew and uh, for our TV show, This Week in Agribusiness on RFD-TV, would sit down with the Secretary of Agriculture and look back into the year ending, look ahead into the year beginning. Well, we've continued that thanks to the various secretaries I've worked with over the years and again are able to do that this year. So let's get on to it and we'll not do Samuelson Says this morning and this week because at the end of our visit with Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue, we'll retitle that segment of our show and call it The Secretary Says. But right now, we'll be getting to part one of our visit with the Secretary of Agriculture. We are sitting in the office of Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue in Washington, D.C. We've talked a great deal about the challenges our farmers have faced this year from many directions. But what do you see as some of the challenges that you faced as Secretary this year? Well, Lorraine, first of all, it's good to see you because whenever I see you, I know Santa's not far behind. But uh, (laughs) welcome and uh, to the uh, USDA, and it's good to visit with you again over the recapping this year. Uh, It has been a challenging year. Obviously, farmers every year uh, have challenges, but the weather this year has been extremely tough in many parts of the country, from hurricanes to fires to floods to droughts even. So, uh, uh, but, you know, the, the best thing about this job is uh, the constituency is so resilient, and uh, even in economic stress, they are hopeful and optimistic, and but anxious at the same time. And uh, certainly from a trade perspective, we're hoping that uh, we get good news here that uh, very soon regarding China and USMCA. And uh, we look forward to another year. The great thing about it is I think the market facilitation payments have enabled most people to survive at least and uh, do it again for 2020. Well, as we look at the trade issues, we have had some victories, Japan and uh, European Union. We made some progress there. Certainly. Japan was the first phase of that has been a great deal uh, with the bilateral that way. When uh, the president determined to uh, withdraw from the multilateral TPP, people were concerned. Uh, his, his uh, again, commitment was to do a better deal with Japan. I think, again, in a bilateral in this first phase. Really, would you think we'd be able to sell rice into South Korea? But that uh, that's another one as well. The TRQ from Brazil were for, for wheat, 750,000 tons, finally got done. And, uh, again, I think we're getting some good news on USMCA. Do you think that's going to happen? I've been convinced all along, Oren, this was a great deal. I've been in Democratic districts and Republican districts. I think it will pass overwhelmingly. I know that Speaker Pelosi and her team have tried to act like they've perfected it. This was a good deal from the very beginning, and that's what President Trump committed. We know we kind of gasped when he said, we're going to withdraw from NAFTA or modernize it. But the fact is, uh, chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse, this is not only a more modern, but a better deal for the American economy. And uh, as we continue our work with China, they have not been the best players in the trade world, right? And we need some fixing. Well, we do need some fixing. And again, uh, people sort of uh, became anxious when President Trump determined to reset this relationship over structural reforms and things that uh, 
were not the way modern countries do with forced transfer of technology, intellectual property theft even in that way. And uh, he's determined when you look at the China's 2025 plan, it's pretty clear their goal was world domination, not just agriculturally, but technologically, but literally militarily and economically world domination. And President Trump's not going to allow that to happen on his watch. That's what this is all about. And I'm, I'm proud of our American farmers. While they they understood, they got it about what the president was trying to do, they realized that we've been in an economic war with China for 30, 20 years, and we didn't know it. And we were fighting an enemy that was, we weren't fighting, but they were. And uh, President Trump, to his credit, also provided the market facilitation payments both last year and this year, but knowing that our productive farmers will be at the point of the spear on any retaliation. Where do we look for new markets for our soybeans and corn and other products? We, we must look at uh, new markets. You've heard me say, I feel like we got too dependent on China as a large customer. There are a lot of hungry mouths out there from Africa, but to the Pacific Rim. Let's go to those smaller co countries like Thailand and Cambodia and Vietnam and Philippines, as well as the larger ones like Malaysia and Indonesia. And we're also making progress in India. I'm hoping that we can have some uh, good news regarding India in the first of the year. Because that's a huge population. A huge population. Many people think they will outpace uh, China in population soon. They've been a very protectionist environment with a lot of uh, different states. It's been very difficult to do business from an agricultural perspective in India. We hope to break that code and to, uh, to begin that relationship and build that market just as our agriculturalists did in China. Well, I remember when uh, Dan Glickman was Secretary mm -hmm. of Agriculture. I traveled with him to India, my yeah. first visit right. there. And what an immense country, but uh, they have a ways to go. Very fractious and very difficult. You would think a, a, a democracy that way in that part of the world would be easier. It's frankly been more difficult. They've had a true protectionist environment. And honestly, Orrin, I can understand that. If you unleash the American farmer and rancher uh, on, the, on the world, uh, he's going to own that world because of the productivity. And all these countries want food security and want to supply as much as they can, being self-sufficient. So I understand to some degree, but let's have world trade where we do what we're good at and you do what you do good at and swap. We'll continue our visit with Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, on this week in Agribusiness. Lou Manfredini here, and this House Smarts Minute is sponsored by Design First Builders, remodeling homes and building relationships. If you're buying a live tree, there are a few things to check when you're on the hunt. Be sure to check for freshness. A fresh tree is green. Needles are hard to pull from the branches and do not break when bent between your fingers. The bottom of a fresh tree is sticky with resin. And when tapped on the ground, the tree should not lose any needles. For more information, go to housemartsradio.com. And now this. Want to fall in love with your home all over again? Design First will make that happen. Design First is a custom home remodeler that handles every step of your dream remodeling project, from bathrooms and kitchens to basements and full home additions. Goodbye laminate, hello quartz. So long unfinished basement, hello man cave. Stop by designfirstbuilders.com to see a few of the projects that have helped homeowners add value to their home. Designfirstbuilders.com. Design First Builders, remodeling homes and building relationships. Antenna TV. You know these classic TV themes? Come and knock on our door. 
And you'll want to spend your weekend laughing and watching Antenna TV on over-the-air channel 9.2 or check your cable listings. I'm his favorite. No, I'm Dad's favorite. Kids, you're both wrong. What? WGN America's my favorite. They got my favorite shows, my favorite blockbuster movies, even my favorite original series. WGN America. We play favorites. Quiet, kids. I'm watching WGN America. We continue our annual visit with the Secretary of Agriculture to wrap up the year. And, uh, Mr. Secretary, were you able to spend any time at home during the Christmas, New Year's celebrations? You're always traveling. We had a great Thanksgiving week. I do travel over 50% of the time, but we had a great family time during Thanksgiving. Many people know that we got four children and 14 grandchildren, and it's a real blessing to be able to gather all of them together and uh, have a little home time. I don't get home probably about every six to eight weeks, but uh, we enjoy the time when we see them. Share with me a little bit of what you are hearing from producers across the country as you make these visits all over the country. Sure. Well, we're out all over trying to be listening sessions. Many people want us to come speak. I want to come listen and, and really have feedback from our producers. I always ask them, I said, I want to know what we're doing we shouldn't be doing and what should we be doing we're not doing because this is a service organization and uh, from agriculture and many other the things that we impact. I, I hear still anxiety. Obviously, we'd love more certainty regarding our trade relationships. Labor is still a huge issue there. We need a legal, viable guest worker program for agriculture in the worst kind of way here. And certainly we need to continue our deregulatory efforts out there. WOTUS obviously was a great win of rescinding the waters of the U.S. rule uh, this year. But, uh, and I think, again, the president is going to make clear that 15 billion gallons of uh, ethanol means 15 billion gallons. Okay, so we'll get that uh, exemption thing taken care of? I think we will. In fact, I've told uh, uh, Administrator Wheeler, I'm not, I, I really can't control what small refinery waivers you give, but the number on top of the line ought to equal 15 billion gallons when you subtract those small refinery waivers. That's a commitment. I, I believe President Trump has gotten his attention as well in that regard, and I think farmers can go with certainty. The other thing about that is let's be about the business of building infrastructure where we can take advantage of the year-round E15. That's a 50% increase in consumption. I'm convinced when, when customers come up to the pump, if they've got access to that E15, 88 octane versus 87, at probably a 2 to $0.05 cent cost advantage, I think consumers are smart enough to choose that. We just got to get it presented to them in that way. And I think we're making progress. New York State, for example, approved uh, the sale, and uh, we're now looking at automobile warranties, I That's think. That's right. Yes, all of that EPA yeah. is talking about that, as well as E85 and making sure that the regulations over E85 for those states that want to allow an even greater percentage there uh, and acknowledge that modern automobiles since 2001 are not harmed by that. Let's get, a, let's get way of all that noise out there about uh, uh, E15 or E25 or E30 and let the consumers know it's a benefit not only their vehicles but their environment. One of the big agencies at USDA is the Forest Service, and we've had the horrendous fires that have occurred over the past couple of years. What can we do to change that? Well, we're way behind the curve, obviously, because of uh, policies that are not worked by not uh, thinning trees, not allowing us in the Forest Service to uh, 
to thin either mechanically or by prescribed burning and it just builds a mass network of fuel out there and these these fires just rage through particularly in wildland urban interfaces such as paradise california and uh, frank hope you know congress did give us some more authorities but we're so far behind the curve the best thing they did was give us the fire fix heretofore we've been borrowing uh money from our forest management to fight forest fires. Now we can treat them like disasters and do what we need to do ahead of time preventatively. And uh, one of my pet peeves for years has been false labeling, like calling almonds or soybeans <laughs> milk. And now we're dealing with what I call laboratory meat that yeah. is not really meat. But, but it's still imperative we have the labeling there to do that. Consumers will make the choice. I mean, I. Yeah. Uh, I believe if you've tasted some of the plant-based meat, I'm not in too much of a threat that we're going to do away with Angus and, and Hereford cows in that way. But uh, it's USDA's responsibility to make sure the labeling is accurate, transparent, and tells the consumers from whence that product came. And my wife has picked on several uh, managers of meat departments at yeah. supermarkets saying, you're putting fake meat aside <laughs> real meat. That should be in the vegetable part. <laughs> you want to call it plant-based and put it where the plants are, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, we have more to talk about, and we appreciate the opportunity we have. And I've been doing this now for 45 know, years. And you just look like you did the first time you did it, Dorian. <laughs> we'll continue our discussion with Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, on This Week in Agribusiness. Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, with us on this week in agribusiness. And early in the new year, one of the important annual conferences staged by USDA will take place, the Agricultural Outlook Forum. What have we got planned for this year's program? I think the emphasis on innovation and the future of food. Uh, we're recognizing that uh, USDA is broader than just field production. It's really the, the breadth of food production there in so many ways with the supply chain. We're going to talk about all the various technologies and what the futurists think about that. We know consumer preferences are changing all the time, and uh, we have to keep up with that uh, in that way. So it's going to be an exciting time. What I also talk about a lot, Orion, is the digitization of agriculture. Modern technology has given us amazing sensors and optics where the, the good farmers can take not just that algorithm that used to sit on their shoulders, but now they can take real data and get down to the fifth decimal point about how precise they are. And at Farm Progress Show this week, or this year, it was interesting to see Despite the economic challenges facing farmers, those agribusiness companies are still coming up with new machines. I, I saw the speed tiller, for example. I grew up with the two-bottom plow, <laughs> but now we're doing 10, 12 miles an hour with speed tiller. And it's amazing with precision agriculture. Productivity increases, better soil health. One of the things that's exciting to me is that uh, we want to transfer agriculture as far as being blamed for environmental problems to really be carbon sinks. This soil with, with uh, cover crops and with uh, uh, no-till can literally be carbon captures there that can, can, can capture millions of tons of CO2. 
and be more productive with better soil health. That's what we want to educate people on how to do going forward, whether it's with incentives or how we can change practices there where these types of things that we know to be good for water quality, for soil sediment, and for nutrient runoff, all those kind of things, keep what's on the soil on the soil for the next crop. I appreciate your support to get young people into agriculture with your FFA, 4-H activities and all of that. Are we making progress? Are we encouraging young people to become producers? I'm amazing as we get out. There's a real interest in agriculture today. It's almost a resurgence as I go to universities and different places where I see the energy and the passion of agriculturalists to young people, and not only in those organizations, but a lot of interest. They also really want to communicate uh, in ag communications. We've done a great job uh, uh, producing, but unlike you, we haven't been good communicators about the blessings of, of American agriculture. We right now are trying to do economic research to quantify the specific advantage that American consumers have had over the, the blessings of productivity we've had. We think it may approach trillion dollars of disposable income advantage that American families have had versus any other developed country in the world. And frankly, I'm getting very, very tired of labels that say no GMOs <laughs> because my feeling is if you're opposed to GMOs, you are really hurting people around the world. Well, we would not be able to feed even the population we had had it not been for the productivity of genetic modifications and the kind of enhancements that we've had. And honestly, Orion, you know there's not been a scientific study at anywhere that indicates literal physical harm from these, uh, from these uh, consuming these products. I often am asked about your background. Yes. And what have you done to become Secretary of Agriculture? Will you take us briefly through what you've been doing before this? Well, I'll begin at the beginning. I, uh, I was uh, trafficked as a child in child labor, meaning I grew up on a farm. <laughs> <laughs> and my father taught me how to work. My mother was an English teacher. She taught me how to speak and to write. And I got a great, uh, uh, just a glorious childhood. I never knew the blessings of work could be so beneficial. I obviously went to the University of Georgia and uh, graduated as a veterinarian. I uh, had the pleasure of serving in the United States Air Force because Vietnam was really boiling at that time, and I wanted to volunteer. I did. And then after that, I practiced veterinary medicine for a while, but I never got over having so much dirt under my fingernails. <laughs> and after just a few years, I went back home and went into agribusiness uh, there, and that's been my primary career. Had a little tightness, though, as uh, governor of Georgia, so uh, we did that additionally. Have you found politics uh, more fun than agriculture? No. <laughs> no. Politics is an aside. Agriculture is where we eat every day, and, and really from the innovation and the challenges of agriculture, uh, I admire the men and women that put their, their lives and their equities on the line every year so much. Well, we appreciate the work that you're doing, and uh, it's getting close to that time because it's not Samuelson says, it is the secretary says. So we'll be interested in what you have to say, Mr. Secretary, when we continue on this week in agribusiness. Every year on our year-end show and visit with the Secretary of Agriculture, I change the title of Samuelson says. Because now I want to hear what the thoughts are of the secretary. And so 
Mr. Secretary, it's time for The Secretary Says. Well, thank you, Orrin, and welcome again to the USDA. We're, we live in a blessed country. I think we recognize that. Even with the challenges of 2019, which most of us will be happy from a production standpoint that's behind us, always as an optimistic farmer looking better for 2020. I hope in trade and certainly in weather and many other ways, 2020 will be a better year for all of our producers. But they are so resilient, uh, Orion. This job is amazing. When I get to go all across the country, traveling over half of the time, and see the amazing things that are happening in so many aspects of American agriculture, it makes me proud as a United States citizen. I just want to thank the men and women and the families of agriculture across this country. We've had a big year. We moved uh, ERS NIFA to Kansas City, and uh, we've had... Uh, uh, great trade uh, partners already with Japan and Korea and uh, the wheat TRQ in Brazil and uh, other issues. And uh, I think we've gotten some certainty on our RFS issue going forward as well, where the President Trump is going to say 15 billion gallons means 15 billion gallons, where farm grower, corn growers and uh, ethanol producers can uh, help to grow this industry going from E10 to E15 on a year-round basis. So there are a lot of exciting things happening. With all the modern technology, we're going to have the uh, Food Out of the Outlook Forum in February talking about the future of food. And I don't think there's ever been a more exciting time to be a food producer. And the economic advantages we have in this country is absolutely amazing compared to other countries where our consumers, our families have to spend less of their disposable income each and every week less than any other developed country in the world. So I'm proud. I, while I'm from Georgia and miss those 14 grandchildren, this is a fabulous job. I, it's the best people in the world getting out and learning for them. I get out and say, I'm coming to not to talk, but to listen to you. Teach me how we can do a better job serving you. As you've heard us, uh, Samuel, talk about our mantra here, our motto is do right and feed everyone. And we want to be the most effective, the most efficient, the most customer-focused agency in the federal government for our producers and all those people who produce our great food. Thanks a lot. And thank you for your time once again to sit down and wrap up the year and look ahead to the next year. Our visit with Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, in the office of USDA's Secretary of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. So... We move into the new year. We hope your Christmas season has been great, and we hope that 2020 will be even better. That's our time on This Week in Agribusiness. We are a couple of minutes away from news time here on WGN Radio, but as we move into the new year, the first really big convention will take place in Austin, Texas the 101st Annual Convention and Trade Show of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Again, the dates of that event are January 17th through the 22nd. And uh, here in Illinois, let me mention the uh, Illinois Specialty Crop conference that'll feature more than 160 speakers and exhibitors and that will be held January 8, 9 and 10 at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Springfield and it'll feature nearly 100 speakers and 60 trade show exhibitors and then the Purdue Dairy event the top farmer conference will be held early in the new year on Friday January 10th 
So there's a lot going on early in the new year, and we hope you get to the meetings that are of interest to you safely and that you learn a great deal from those events. So that's our time for this morning and for this year on the Saturday Morning Show. Thank you, as always, to Bob Ferguson, who does the engineering work, and to you for listening to the Saturday Morning Show. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.